Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it is Wednesday night, June 19th, 2019, as the Chicago White Sox and Cubs wrapped up the first half of their four games This season that we played against each other in the crosstown is a cup is a classic who cares Uh, so they're they're done with two games out of the four that they'll play and after a tense three to one victory capped by Aloy Jimenez's ninth inning two run homer White Sox fans had plenty of reason to feel confident in the White Sox possibly stealing two games at Wrigley Field with Lucas Giolito pitching well the Cubs, specifically Wilson Contreras, had other had other ideas as the Cubs won the second game 7-3. We will recap the split in the series and also preview the upcoming series in Arlington as the White Sox continue this road trip by finally leaving Chicago and head south to Texas uh, to face the Rangers, who are still in the mix for the wildcard race as we enter about halfway through the Major League Baseball season. Jim is out this evening, so pinch hitting for him to help co-host the show is Greg Nix. Hello, Greg. Thanks for filling in for Jim. Yeah, of course. Hopefully uh, there's no sort of uh, pinch hitter penalty, you know, like uh, for, for me <laughs> stepping in. Hopefully I'll, I'll be at my usual podcast quality. Oh, of course. You are top notch, sir. Top. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Notch. You know, these two games between the White Sox and Cubs, they were fun. 
And I know for some White Sox fans, they really look forward to this series. And then there are some White Sox fans that try to, I don't know, maybe belittle the seriousness between the two teams, say it's not that really big of a rivalry between the White Sox and Cubs. And I get that point because for White Sox fans, the games against the Twins, the Indians, the Tigers, and Royals are far more important than when they play against the Cubs. But I still feel like the White Sox and Cubs are a rivalry. Do you see it that way, Greg? Yeah, I think it's sort of as much of a rivalry as as the fans make it, right? It's not necessarily, as the league is currently aligned, the most impactful uh, games that the White Sox are going to play this season or that the Cubs are going to play this season. But I think it means a lot to especially certain subsets of fans. And, you know, they... I think people talk about Major League Baseball as a regional sport, as a national regional sport. And if that's the case, then certainly two teams sharing the same city is a rivalry. Yeah, it was pretty tense on Tuesday night between the White Sox and Cubs. That was a fun game to watch and especially a lot more fun uh, with Alo Jimenez having his big home run. But as we are streaming live on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine and recording this, uh, we are recapping a Lucas Giolito bad start, Greg. It finally happened. Uh, he's been on such a tremendous stretch, and he finally slipped up. Wilson Contreras this evening hit two home runs, one being a first-inning grand slam, which obviously was the biggest difference because the Cubs ended up winning by four, seven to three. And Contreras was just a headache for Giolito to get out. Contreras would later walk in his last bat, uh, plate appearance against Giolito. So great night for Wilson Contreras, two home runs, five RBIs, and a walk against Lucas Giolito. Both of those home runs were on change-ups. David Bodie also hit a solo, solo home run. So Giolito only lasted four and a third innings, and he had a really weird pitching line because out of those 13 outs, uh, he allowed seven hits, six earned runs, three walks, Nine strikeouts. There were periods of this start, Greg, especially when he was facing Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, that he kind of embarrassed them with his pitch mix. And you could see where Giolito was showcasing his ace stuff, him being elite. But then he made mistakes against Contreras, and he paid the price. His season ERA is back to 2.74, and it is the changeup. Hitters are now sitting back looking for this pitch, Greg. And I wonder in his next outing, which is scheduled against the Boston Red Sox at Fenway, do you think maybe it's time we see that pitch less, even though it's been very effective for him? Maybe. I, I, in my mind, the changeup was less of an issue as the fastball command was. And it's sort of, you know, he, he struggled to locate that right from the beginning in sort of the... Uh, the strike zone was pretty horrendous, actually, for both games. I, I had a pretty big issues with both umpires, but I think that made it worse. But it seemed like he wasn't hitting McCann's mitt. And like without without the ability to establish the fastball, I think that's why the changeup suffered more than the changeup itself. Because the changeup still got five swinging, swinging strikes in 18 pitches, which is a pretty good ratio. Um, so I think, you know, I... I'm not sure if I want to see him go to the slider or the curb more often because I think those pitches have been effective in smaller doses, and I 
just wondered if messing with the the sort of pitch mix right now uh, when he's been going so well. I guess I guess I would give it at least one more start for hitters to show that they're really uh, squaring up the changeup, or if it's just kind of an off night sort of a thing. Because I do think you know in the at bats where he was locating his fastball, he he struck out Chris Bryant twice, who's obviously one of the best hitters in the league. Like I don't think that necessarily the stuff and the pitch mix was the problem so much as as the command um and the strike zone Gilito is halfway through a pretty tough gauntlet here greg uh obviously his last two starts were against the yankees and the cubs his next two starts are projected to be the boston red sox and the minnesota twins both of those teams can definitely hit are you concerned at all that facing these elite offenses that he may take a step back in his performance I I don't know if I'd say I'm concerned as much as like, yeah, that'll probably happen because, you know, every pitcher is worse against good teams than they are against the Royals. But I think with the way that he has been pitching, he has shown that he can beat anybody um, even on nights where he, he doesn't have his last best command. I mean, in his previous start, you know, he walked four guys, but it was still... Uh, I can't remember if it was six shutout innings or six one-run innings, but you know, overall he looked good uh, against the Yankees, right? Am I am I remembering that correctly? Yes, um, you are remembering that. Correctly. Yeah, so I think like he 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 probably won't pitch as well against the Red Sox as he will against the Royals, but I don't know that it's concerning long term, especially as he I uh, I don't quite think he's a finished prod product yet as well as he's been pitching he still needs you know a little bit of polish to get to that true uh max scherzer chris sale ace dependable ace um level and i think that you know figuring out how to beat good teams is going to be part of that process yeah and his last two starts has just been one guy in the lineup that's given him trouble luke voigt was the one that hit the home run and he drew a couple walks against giolito in the start against the Yankees. And then, obviously, Contreras having a monster game against Lucas Giolito. Uh, so maybe just things that next time he faces these guys, he comes up with a better game plan, specifically for these hitters. Uh, because if you remove Contreras from the equation, this is a game <laughs> all the way to the ninth inning. Uh, it's just Wilson Contreras, five, White Sox, three, and ultimately the Cubs got a couple more runs. Uh, to win 7-3. to three. Uh, But we'll see how Lucas Giolito bounces back again. It doesn't get any easier for him. Uh, it will be another road start, and will be at Fenway, and that projected start appears to be the first game of that series on Monday. One other thing with Giolito this game that I wonder if maybe it, it had a snowball effect because we know he's such kind of like an intellectual guy and he thinks thinks through things to the point of overthinking. I wonder if him coming to bat... Um, with Yolmer Sanchez on third after uh, Yolmer's triple and then with runners on second and third in his second at bat and, and not being able to get the job done, get any of those runs in. I wonder if he sort of uh, put more pressure on himself or took took it with him to the mound at all, um, which obviously won't be a problem going forward. But is uh, it, made, it made me really not enjoy National League Baseball to see you know, two great run scoring situations snuffed out because a guy who shouldn't have his bat, the bat in his hands is up to bat. And I can imagine if you are in that game and you're that guy, and then you have to go out and, and feel like you let your team down um, at a thing you're not good at. 
and then you're also letting the team down at a thing, the thing you're supposed to be good at. I wonder if that can sort of get in your head a little bit. Yeah, I hate the National League game. I'll just go on record and say it. I hate it because, as you mentioned, Yomer Sanchez hits a triple with two outs. And if it's in the American League, you know, guys who hit ninth in the lineup, you know, they have an OPS above 650, okay? Let's say that uh, without looking it up for the league average right now for number nine hitters. Uh, that's significantly better and significantly better odds of that number nine hitter in the American League setting to drive that run in than a pitcher who pitchers today do not hit in the minor leagues. They don't. They get DH'd for. And to expect <laughs> these pitchers to come in in a National League setting and try to hit, it's just, I don't know. It's a bad look in the game. It's You might as well just run all the way home, Yomer, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> you have a better shot of scoring than trying to watch Lucas Giolito, who hits one game a season, try to make contact against John Lester. I just... Yeah, can't even get a bunt down. And, and Lester approached it very smartly, just throwing him nothing but breaking stuff, you know, which would buckle my knees for sure. And Giolito is about as qualified a major league hitter as I am. So I can imagine <laughs> it's a little bit of a... It just messes with your head a little bit, probably. It's time for the universal DH. I don't know. I, I find the National League game to be a bit silly. It just... Yeah, again, whoever bats in front of the pitcher, if they had a double or a triple with two outs, yeah, they're just going to stay there uh, unless the Babup gods come down and grant a miracle for that pitcher uh, to, to find the, a way to get the ball through the infield or a bloop single to score a run. Sometimes it happens and people hold on to that, but it doesn't happen frequently enough to be entertaining. And uh, again, I'm really looking forward to Universal DH. And you know what? Universal DH would benefit a team like the Chicago Cubs who have a deep bench, uh, especially as far as hitters. Now, the good news for the White Sox in this game, Lurie Garcia hit a leadoff home run against Leicester in the first pitch, which was pretty awesome. Uh, and James McCann also hit another home run tonight. Uh, Garcia is not running the best right now, Greg. He's obviously not 100%. He looks like he's hurt. But he told reporters before the game that he's fine. It's just that his legs feel tired. Okay, Lurie. Uh, but last season, Garcia pulled his hamstring three times. And he missed significant time uh, during the season being on the injured list because of that hamstring issue. And uh, John Jay may look like he's ready to join the White Sox. So do you think it's time for the White Sox to add John Jay to the roster to at least give Lurie Garcia some days off? Yeah, definitely. I think it's past time. I keep seeing Jay's name in the Charlotte box scores and being surprised that he's still there because, you know, Alonzo is an obvious candidate to be DFA'd with the way that he's producing. And now with Lauri, at the very least, it looks like he could use a game or two off um, and Jay would be probably the most qualified guy in the in the sort of immediate vicinity to do that. Although I guess you could uh, put Tilson or Cordell in for a game or two. But yeah, I, I think that if they're going to call up John Jay, now is the time. And if they're not going to call him up, why is he still in the organization? Well, that is a good question. Let's say they do call up John Jay. Who do you think he would replace on the roster? For me, it's an easy Yonder Alonzo, um, who just, especially with Collins now, is is redundant. 
Um, I don't know. It seems like the White Sox, they, they haven't been playing him, so I guess they're not that reluctant to admit defeat. But it seems like potentially they may want to send Cordell or Tilson back down just because I think, again, if Jay seems as ready as he's going to be and they haven't done it yet, so it feels like there's some kind of hurdle in the way and maybe that hurdle is they uh, don't want to give up on Alonzo or they think he can still bring something to the clubhouse or the club or or something like that or they feel like they're doing him dirty. I, I don't know. I can't really. I'm <laughs> just like speculating, but it, it definitely <laughs> seems like that is the biggest hole on the roster and that Jay can do more than Alonzo with the bat bringing on base ability and is also a a pretty good outfielder overall, definitely good in the corners and, and can give Larry a, a little bit of a break in center as well. I spoke with some Cleveland Indians writers and bloggers about Yonder Alonzo and they thought his bat was dead in the second half of last year. So they are not surprised that he's struggling this poorly. I mean, the bat looks dead. And by dead, what I mean is that it looks slow and he is not generating exit velocity. I mean, he cannot drive the ball into the outfield. And because of that combination, when you shift against him and he hits grounders, he doesn't hit the ball hard enough to get through the shift. So I don't see it getting any better. And now Rick Hahn has to... I don't. There's no way he could save face by making this trade, right? Because he made this deal for a very specific reason, to help with recruiting efforts to get Manny Machado. Obviously, that failed. Uh, I, I just think you have. I agree with you, Greg. You have to cut your losses and move on. And there would be some saying cutting a veteran player like Yonder Alonso before the halfway mark of the season is in poor taste and could impact you in free agency. But you know what? It's time for the White Sox to move away from the players like Yonder Alonso and make better significant upgrades when they are targeting players in trades and free agency uh, rather than just stopgap solutions. So uh, do you think, like, obviously you and I both believe that Alonso should be DFA'd right now. But looking at how the White Sox operate, do you think he lasts the entire season? I just don't see how they could justify it if he doesn't improve at all. And right now they're not giving him the opportunity to improve because he hasn't been playing, which I agree with. But, you know, he's certainly his even his ideal skill set. It was redundant with Collins's ideal skill set now and with Jay's ideal skills set as a left handed hitter. So it just doesn't I don't know how w- without a rash of injuries or without dramatically better production immediately they could justify that. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if after Sunday's game, maybe that's when, you know, Alonzo's DFA'd and Jay comes up. Um, but I would do it right away. Yeah, I, I don't know how he could make it to the end of the season with the way things currently look. Now, McCann is currently second in all-star voting. That is the... One move this offseason that is working amazing for the White Sox. James McCann is having a career year. Uh, There's no way that anyone saw this type of season coming. Uh, And as I mentioned, he is second in all-star voting behind New York Yankees catcher Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez has, I think he's got the edge here, Greg, because of the home runs and he's a New York Yankee. 
Uh, so I don't like McCann's chances. I, I think he'll be a finalist. He'll finish in the top three. But when it comes to that final vote, uh, I don't think he's got really good odds on becoming the starting catcher. Uh, but do you think, even though he may not be voted as a starter, that he could still find his way on the American League All-Star team? I think so, just because of the other guys who are having kind of comparable seasons, nobody has more name recognition than him necessarily, aside from Sanchez. So I can see, you know, obviously somebody's got to have the the backup spot, and with Salvi out for the year, he would be sort of the, like, uh, the brand name, I guess, um, amongst AL catchers. So somebody's going to be taking that spot. And I would think as the all-star manager, uh, whoever is that, is that Cora or I can't, it is Alex. Yeah. So I would say, you know, he'll probably want a third catcher just so that to avoid worst case scenarios. Um, so it makes sense to me that, that he has a pretty good chance at it, but then again, you know, you look at Mitch Garver, you look at, uh, well, twins kind of have two in Jason Castro and Mitch Garver, who you could make an argument for. Um, and you look at uh, Robinson Chirinos, Narvaez is having a great year, of course. Um, so, so there is competition, but for whatever it means, uh, I just pulled up the Fangraphs war, and that does not include pitch framing, so nobody needs to tweet at me. But James McCann is leading the American League catchers in Fangraphs wins above replacement as of the current juncture. Um, so I think he has as good a chance of anybody and maybe slightly better just because he's been around the league for a few years and his name is at least somewhat recognizable. Yeah, if you foresee Justin Verlander starting the All-Star game over Lucas Giolito, maybe Cora could work out a situation with McCann being on the team that if Sanchez catches the first four innings, then he can line up McCann working with Giolito. And then you don't have to worry about miscommunication during the middle of the All-Star game. Uh, McCann could just work with Giolito, and then McCann could work a couple of innings and then be lifted for another catcher. Uh, that was just something that I was thinking of is that if Giolito doesn't start the All-Star game, then maybe he pitches later in the All-Star game for his inning uh, to work with James McCann. Uh, but no, definitely something to keep track of. And, you know, White Sox fans, if you really want James McCann to be the All-Star starter, uh, try to find 3 million votes somewhere because <laughs> uh, Gary Sanchez is going to get the, the New York contingent. Somebody needs to hire a click farm and, uh, you know, East Asia or something like that to just be voting for James McCann 24 hours a day. Yeah, just go find the guys during the uh, Section 108 White Sox personality Twitter contest. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, whoever's (laughs) manipulating those. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, continuing on uh, the good news front, uh, Aloy Jimenez is having a big month in June. And obviously he had the big home run on Tuesday night, but he has six home runs so far. He's also walking more. He's got six walks. The question that I have is that, you know, with his June performance so far, is this sustainable? Is this the expectation level of play that White Sox fans should get out of Aloy Jimenez moving forward? Well, I think it's what we were expecting coming into the season, and it sort of is what he's demonstrated in the minor leagues. Um, and even thinking back to last year, you know, I think he uh, – 
would start every level a, a little bit slow and then kind of lock in and just go on a tear. Um, that's that's my memory, at least. Maybe that is subjective, but sort of a shorter adjustment period, like maybe the first couple weeks at a level he would be struggling and then uh, then go on just a massive tear. So maybe it just took him a little longer in the majors and, and now he is in that locked-in point because, you know, obviously the power is showing up a lot more, um, but I, I think the plate discipline has been very encouraging just in terms of – he's still striking out a fair amount, but he's also not swinging over as many sliders as – he was in the first month and a half of the season. Uh, he, he's waiting, you know, on those pitches a little bit better and um, taking it, taking what the pitcher is giving him and sort of using his tremendous strength to, to make it count. You, you look at that home run that he hit in the first game. I mean, that was a pitch up and away that he took to the opposite field and he broke his bat and it still went out. So, you know, he doesn't need to be... He doesn't need to be an all-out swinger, so he can make a little bit more contact. He can be a little bit more patient and uh, just just find that zone that, you know, he really feels comfortable in and hopefully he just keeps hitting like this because I think it can be sustainable um, whether it is or not, whether there's a counter-adjustment from pitchers, I guess we'll see. But that, w- that would be the sort of thing that, I would not worry about, but just assume is coming is there will be some kind of counter adjustment. And then it's on him to sort of keep his improvement on those sliders and those, those pitches that he was chasing and then fight off as well, whatever the counter adjustment is. Yeah. in his last month. So we're looking at May 19th through June 19th. This is a span of 26 games. Eloy Jimenez is hitting 269 with a 333 on base percentage with a 602 slugging percentage with 29 strikeouts to nine walks and he has nine home runs in the last 30 days for the White Sox that leads the team that's two more than Jose Abreu's had in the last month 269 333 on base percentage I think that's a sustainable level for Aloy Jimenez I think maybe some would say that he could even be higher in both of those numbers but you can't beat 602 slugging (laughs) <laughs> you just can't. Uh, not in the major leagues. That is that is quite eye-opening, and hopefully it continues uh, to Texas. It will preview that series here in a moment as the White Sox face the Rangers. But the last topic out of these two games, there's a lot to talk about after these just two games in Wrigley Field, and that is Yohan Mikata's back. It's been a very popular topic. Jim wrote about it today on SoxMachine.com, openly asking what the White Sox are doing with Yohan Mikata. His swings looked much better from the right side this evening. Uh, he did get an RBI double batting right-handed down the right field line. Later in the game, batting left-handed, he had a triple, uh, which that looked like a very healthy swing, a very normal swing for Yohan Mikata. But, th- Greg, this has been a very curious way on how Rick Renteria and Rick Hahn, add him because he is a general manager, he is responsible for the 25- and 40-man roster, on how they are handling the situation that he's just riding the bench, not getting a lot of playing time. Uh, and it's really handcuffing Rick Renteria. He's been working with a short bench on uh, these previous games. Do you think that they're playing this situation right? Hoping that this is just a nagging injury that will subside and they don't have to send Mikata to the 10 day injured list. I think it's pretty confusing. I think, 
You, the, the the most confusing thing is using him as a defensive replacement. I mean, it's one thing to say we're playing it day by day, and you know he it it looks like he'll be available tomorrow, and then maybe he isn't, and because he didn't bounce back, I think that's sort of par for the course um, with low grade muscle or back injuries. Um, but then, yeah, say, not starting him, say, and then. Using him in the fifth inning, I know it's a short bench, but you know you could have brought Lauri in to play second and move Yolmer over to third or something like that. I think that it is confusing, and I haven't heard a great justification for why that happened. Um, and maybe it's all much ado about nothing because he did look good today, and he's made all the defensive plays, and his swings looked good today. But the the weird bunts attempts in when he was that sub after this kind of long layoff, it just made me kind of wonder what the what the plan is what the organizational philosophy is and it is somewhat worrisome because it seems like there is no plan but or if there is a plan they deviated it for a relatively from it for a relatively mundane game circumstance um so it's kind of hard to guess from the outside but what it seems like is there is not a great there is some sort of communication breakdown whether it's between Mancada and the training staff, the training staff and Renteria, Renteria and Han, Han and Renteria and the media and Sox fans. But it it hasn't been a great look. And I, as for someone as important as Mancada and who has made the strides that he has this year, I don't really understand why you would want to endanger that by putting a guy who's not 100% into a game or by uh, n- underestimating the severity of an injury. Especially when it comes to a back, right? Yeah, I mean, back injuries can... This could last the entire season if it's not handled right now. So I would rather see them err on the side of caution. Um, I understand that, you know, they've been playing competitive baseball, but yeah, err on the side of caution and don't undermine the gains that Moncada's made this year by playing him when he's not healthy. I'm 100% with you, so... We'll see how it goes. Again, the White Sox have the day off on Thursday before they head to Texas. So maybe with an extra day of rest, Mikata will bounce back. And uh, this topic will be uh, resolved because Mikata is a lot healthier than he looks. However, if Mikata has another back spasm and he's got to get pulled in the middle of the game and the White Sox still refuse to put him on the injured list, uh, I think it's fair for everybody to openly question on what the White Sox are doing with Yo and Mikata, because I think they they should handle it a little bit better than what they are, and it's 10 days. If they put him on the 10-day injured list when he was first experiencing back spasms, he would be back on Friday. And, yeah, it's just it's a bit bizarre. So we'll see, again, if Mikata, with the extra day off, and on Friday, he looks like he's back, uh, like he displayed a little bit, on Wednesday night against the Cubs, then null and void as far as this topic, and we can move on. If not, then the White Sox mishandled one of their star players on the injury front, and that is not a good thing. But the White Sox are still two games below 500 on the season. They are 35-37, and 37, as they will be making their way to Texas for a three-game series against the Rangers. Before we preview that series, though, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way to buy tickets. And a quick look at their app store shows over 50,000 
five-star reviews. That's terrific customer satisfaction. And it's just a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each deal on a scale of one to 10. And finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map so you can get a good understanding of what your view looks like, especially if you're visiting a new stadium or concert venue. And SeatGeek breaks down the details. The green dots mean good deals. The red dots, those tickets are overpriced. Do not buy them. And I use SeatGeek all the time because every purchase is fully guaranteed. That gives me confidence when I'm shopping. And when I bought nine tickets, when the Cubs visit the South Side uh, in a couple of weeks, that is a big order. But I feel secure making that purchase because every purchase is guaranteed with SeatGeek. And if you haven't used SeatGeek before and you need tickets for an upcoming sporting event or concert or theater show, give them a try. And you could do so by downloading their app on your smartphone and use our promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase. Again, that's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. And like we mentioned, the White Sox are now heading to Arlington, Texas to face the Texas Rangers. The Rangers are currently 39 and 34, 35, I should say, while we are streaming this. They are eight and a half games back of the Houston Astros in the American League West. They are now a game back of the wild card. Uh, That game back is the Boston Red Sox that have now taken the lead for the second wild card spot. The Cleveland Indians, and we have talked about their offense struggling have been beating up the Texas Rangers pretty bad, scoring 10-plus runs in each of their first two games of this series. So the Rangers have lost their last two against Cleveland. Looking at their last 10 games, they're 500. They've been 5-5 in their last 10 games. And offensively, the Rangers are scoring 5.6 runs per game. On the pitching front, they're allowing 5.2 runs per game. So if you like a lot of runs with your baseball, uh, you'll be a fan of watching the Texas Rangers play. And your pitching problems for this series, keep in mind the times because they're a bit unique. Uh, Try to avoid some of that Texas heat, which there are temperatures as high as 96 degrees right now in Texas. At 7.10 p.m. Central Time on Friday, it is Ronaldo Lopez against Ariel Hirado for the Texas Rangers. Hirado made his Major League debut actually against the White Sox uh, last season in May, and he allowed four runs and a little bit more than three innings of work. On Saturday at 8.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Adrisamir Despagne again. He's going to be going up against Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn has been really good in his last eight starts, only having a 2.92 ERA. He's averaging 11 strikeouts per nine innings during that stretch. And on Sunday at 2.20 p.m. Central Time, it's going to be Yvonne Nova. He only threw 70 pitches on Tuesday in the win against the Cubs, uh, but he will be making the start on regular rest for Sunday at 2.20, and he'll be going up against Adrian Sampson. And Sampson's been tough to beat in Arlington. In nine home starts this year, he is 4-2 and two with a 3.08 ERA. But I think the big storyline for the White Sox is they catch another break on the injury front. Joey Gallo and Hunter Pence have been having terrific seasons. Both players are on the injured list, so they will be avoiding those two. But this is still a pretty potent Texas Rangers lineup, and it's going to be a tough test for the White Sox pitching to slow them down. How do you like their chances knowing that it's Lopez, Despagne, and Nova pitching this series, Greg? Well, it's not a particularly inspiring run of pitchers. (laughs) Um, That might be understatement. I think. 
you know, they, they are catching a break, not facing Gallo and Pence. And the Rangers offense, apart from those guys, is not particularly scary. Um, so hopefully this is an opportunity for uh, Lopez to spe- Lopez specifically to find the form that he did last year. Although, you know, we've been saying that for a few starts, I think. Um and for Nova to kind of continue being decent and, and maybe you get lucky and Despagne is able to junk ball his way to uh, five innings without, without getting blown up. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't feel great about the pitching matchups, but the other upside that you, you didn't mention is they're missing Mike Biner, who's been kind of the ace of the Rangers staff and is probably going to make the all-star team. So I, I do think the matchups line up for it to be a competitive series if not one that necessarily favors the White Sox. And again, for Monday's show, we will have buy, sell, and hold again as we will be making our votes on where we want the what we want the White Sox to do before the trade deadline if we were in charge. And again, for me, this is a big series because if the White Sox lose two out of three or they get swept, I'm going to move from being hold to sell. But if they could win this series... Maybe if they could even sweep the Texas Rangers, that may convince me to go from a hold position for the White Sox uh, to maybe making an interesting buy before the July 31st deadline, uh, even though that may not be as realistic as we would hope to be, especially for those that are in the buy camp. But we'll see how it goes. I think this is going to be a coin flip type of series that the White Sox could win two out of three or they will lose two out of three. Uh, but hopefully the bats come along uh, to Texas because I think the White Sox are going to need to score some runs. They may have to outslug the Rangers in some of these games uh, to get some wins. And again, we'll be recapping that series on Monday Sox Machine Podcast, but that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. And if you don't get a chance to listen to the live stream Every Sox Machine Live is uploaded into the podcast feed, uh, so you can listen to that and also subscribe to all of our podcasts, including the Monday Show and White Sox Wake Up Call on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. And Greg, thanks for filling in for Jim. How can people follow you on Twitter and see some of your other work? Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Greg Nick's Human. Um, and you can check out my other baseball podcast, Duck Snort, which is available on all the places Josh just mentioned. Uh, and we have been on a little break, but we'll be back next week. Um, and Exciting. thanks for having me, Josh. Yeah, yeah. It's always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and always a pleasure to talk baseball. Yeah, absolutely. So alongside Greg Nix, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening to Sox Machine Live. Is it time for a new heating and cooling system? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services and Carrier today and get 0% financing for 18 months on a new heating and cooling system. Get the comfort you deserve from Griffith Energy Services and Carrier. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today for this and other exclusive offers. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. 